Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 2. Whenever we prepare for something like at the movies, I like to do my best to prepare the heart of the church, the soul of the church for, if you've never been a part of at the movies, it's a time of year where we really challenge people uh, to bring friends, to reach out to people that are maybe away from God. And so I like to preach a message like this from the place in my life where when I was 16 years old, someone extended an invitation to me. I didn't know what was exactly going on. Many of you have heard my story, uh, but some friends told me that if I came to church with them on a Saturday night, there would be free food and hot girls. And I liked free food and hot girls, so I went to church. I had no idea that I would hear the gospel, that I would hear um, Jesus being preached in the way that I did. I had no idea that that day my whole life would be changed. And so I want to talk to you from that place because I often imagine what would happen, what would have happened to my life had someone not extended that invite to me. And maybe you've had one of those moments or experiences, or maybe you were raised in a family to where you never really experienced being away from God. Either way, um, I believe that that we need to consider those who maybe are outside these four walls every now and then. Second Chronicles chapter two, verse two, Solomon selected 70,000 men to bear burdens, 80,000 to carry stones into the mountains and 3,600 to oversee them. The bottom line is it took a lot of people to do something great for God. Verse four, Solomon said, behold, I'm building a temple for the name of the Lord, my God, to dedicate it to him and to honor him and worship him through the different feasts and different things. Verse five, the temple which I build will be great for our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a temple? Since the heaven of the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, who am I then that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice before him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for um, the opportunity to be here in your presence. We ask that you speak your word to each and every heart in here today. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. I want to talk to you about doing something great with your life. Solomon here had determined to do something great for God. And he said that the reason he wanted to do something great for God was because he served a God that was and is so great. I believe every person in this room has something special that God is calling them to, something significant that God wants to do with and through your life. God wants to do something great, but like Solomon, it's not so you can prove something to the world. It's not so you can make a name for yourself, but it's because the God that we serve is so great that like Solomon, we have to get it in our spirit because God is so great. I must do something great for him with my life. Now Solomon, his whole life would have grown up hearing about the greatness of God. His father, David, if you read through the Psalms, was always 
talking about the awesomeness of God, the greatness of God, how unfathomable the greatness of God is. Psalms 145, David said, great is the Lord and his greatness is unsearchable. So Solomon would have spent his whole life hearing his father David talk about how awesome God is, how great God is, how his greatness is unsearchable. And because he would have heard that, it would have gotten in his spirit. And so Solomon says, because of God's greatness, I want to do something great for him. But he asked himself the question, who am I to do something great for God? Who am I to build him a house? Considering that this God is one that the heavens of the heavens of the heavens cannot contain. Considering this God is so awesome that his greatness is unsearchable. It caused him to walk away with that question, who am I to think that I could do something great for God? David also asked this question, who am I that thou art mindful of me? I think it's a good question that many times we ask ourselves, thinking about how awesome God is, how great God is. Who are we to say we could do something great for him? Who am I to say God could do something great with my life? Who are you to say that God could do something? Or can you even utter those words that you think that maybe God has greatness for your life? I think it makes sense to me that when you think about how awesome God is to maybe have some sense of inadequacy concerning what you could do for a God that is so great. Can God really use someone like you? Can God really use someone with your past? Can God really use someone with your issues, with your weaknesses? Can God really use someone in your season of life? Maybe you feel like your best years are behind you. You're an elderly person. You're retired. You're a senior citizen, or maybe you're here and you say, I'm just a student or I'm too young. Maybe you're here today and say, Marcus, I'm a mechanic. What could I possibly do that God could use me in a great way? I'm just a plumber. I'm just a real estate agent. I'm just a teacher. We all have these things that we bring up and we say, could God really use someone like me? Well, Solomon, who's the wisest man, according to scripture, to ever live, asked the same question, who am I to do something great for God? And if he struggled with inadequacy, I think maybe you and I also will struggle with the same type of a thing. Arturo Tuscani, who was a famous Italian symphony conductor, has a had a specialty of doing works of Beethoven one night in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Tuscani was conducting the orchestra and was doing the Ninth Symphony, which was one of the most difficult pieces to direct. They said it was so majestic and moving that when the piece was completed, the audience stood for round after round of applause. Tuscani bowed again and again. He turned to the orchestra. They bowed. The audience continued to cheer and clap. The orchestra members themselves were smiling and cheering. Finally, Tuscani turned his back to the audience and spoke to the orchestra. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, I am nothing. You are nothing. Spoken directly to the orchestra. I am nothing. You are nothing. But Beethoven is everything. What he was trying to help them understand was, listen, we've worked. We've labored. We've developed our skills. We've crafted our, our talents. But our greatness in this moment should not be remembered. It's Beethoven's greatness. 
It's not the composer. It's not the orchestra. It's not the string player. It is the creator of this piece that's given the platform for us to even be in this moment and play what we have just played. And in the same way, as a believer, we have to get to the point where we recognize we work, we labor, we sacrifice, and we say we want to do something great for God. It's not because of our greatness. It's not because we're anything, anything, but it's because of who God is, and it's because it's his greatness that we're building on, and we want to make his name great in the earth. I love the fact that Solomon felt a sense of inadequacy, but yet he still set out to do something great for God. We know that he prayed a very particular prayer that God would give him wisdom, not wisdom so he could impress his friends or be a great philosopher or a great thinker, but that God would give him wisdom so he could do something great for God. So he could do something to influence lives, to lead people, to bless the people that were under his leadership. And when you think about that, you think about here's a guy who's got all this wisdom. He's got position. He is the king of this uh, uh, unbelievable kingdom. And here he is saying, God, I want you to take every gift that you've given me. And I want you to help me to use it to lead people, to influence people for your glory. Are you doing the same thing with your life? Maybe you're not like a Solomon, but are you using the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the resources God's given you and saying to yourself, God, would you help me use that which you've given me to be a blessing to other people? Because there will be a day that you stand before God and I stand before God and he's going to say, I presented you with this opportunity. I presented you with this relationship. I presented you with this gift and this talent. I presented you with this time on the earth. I placed you in this community. I put you in that church. What did you do with the opportunities I gave you? Did you do something great for me? Did you, did you set out to say, God, because you're so great, I want that greatness to be reflected in my life. Did you set out to say, Lord, let me play a role in doing something great for you? Or did you come up with a reason why you couldn't do something great? Maybe like a lot of people. You say, well, maybe at some other time I'll get to it. Maybe later down the road, I'll get around to it. Maybe at a different season, I'll do something for God. The Bible actually says in John four that Jesus said, don't say that you'll do something four months from now. Don't say that you'll get around to it in another season, a better season of your life. He said, actually, what you should do is right now, look up and you'll see that the harvest is plentiful right now. In other words, he's saying, get your eyes off yourself and you're going to begin to see that right now is the best season to do something. Not at a later date, not another season, but right now God is looking for people that will do something for his glory. Solomon asked what he did and the Bible says it pleased God. The Bible says because he didn't ask for a long life in 1 Kings 3, because he didn't ask for riches, because he didn't ask for the destruction of his enemies, but he asked for understanding and wisdom concerning how to lead people, it pleased God. He wasn't saying, God, I need you to make my name great, but he was saying, God, I want to make your name great. It's not about building my kingdom, but it's about building your kingdom. It's not about me getting the glory, but it's about me living a life that gives you glory. And the Bible says, because he prayed that way, it pleased God. Do you live your life 
understanding that there is a destiny and a purpose on your life and that you should be saying, God, I want to do something great with my life because of how great you are, because of how good you've been to me. What can I do to, to allow that greatness and that goodness to flow through me into others, other lives? I think one of the best prayers a church member could pray is that, God, I want you to do something great with my life. I want to do something great for you. If we're the church, if we're bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, the body of Christ, the Bible says, because he is in the world, so are we to be. So when you think about who Jesus is in the world, that's what you and I are called to be. When you think about the greatness of his love, that gives you a picture of the greatness of the love we're supposed to be giving. When you think about the greatness of his forgiveness, that gives you a glimpse into the greatness of the forgiveness we're trying to give into the world. Because he was in the world, guess what? You and I are also to begin to say, what can I do to reflect his greatness in the earth? Luke chapter 19 tells us that Jesus went to seek and save that which was lost. For three and a half years, he reached out and touched people. People reached out and they touched him. Multitudes of people flocked around him. Not the super religious, not the super spiritual, but actually the worst of sinners were comfortable around him. They sought him out. They didn't fear him. They trusted him. They trusted their children with him. As he was in the world, so are we to be. We're to be people that let the world know he cares. We're to be people that are people of sincerity, people of warmth, people of compassion. We're to be as he was in the world, so are we to be. What changes lives is simply saying, God, because you're so great in the world, let us also reflect that greatness. You know, when we think about At The Movies, you know, that's, that begins next week, and many of you haven't been a part of At The Movies, many of you have been, but it's probably my least favorite series of the year, personally, because I like church. I like church where lots of worship, lots of preaching, that's what I like. So when I think about popcorn and Coke and candy, and they take a movie and everybody's out there eating their popcorn. And, and yeah, we put a gospel message to it. I get it. But it's personally not something I enjoy. I enjoy the break a little bit. I'm not going to lie. But I personally don't get a ton out of it. But I learned a long time ago, there is something about, if you want to look at it no other way, shocking the entire church in such a way to say, we need to break up what we do as normal and say, we're going to take a period of time and not think about ourselves, but we're going to say, God, would you use us to reach people that maybe would not be effectively reached by normal church? We want to do what we can do to forget about ourselves for a little bit and think about them. I think when you do that, I think God sees the heart of that. And I think the people that come many times, even if they don't understand exactly what's going on, they think to themselves, man, this church is doing something pretty over the top to reach out to people that maybe would not normally want to come to church. And it sends a message, I believe to God, it sends a message to ourselves. It reminds us, Hey, listen, get your eyes off of what you want. And let's beginning to think about what other people want. And if one person comes to at the movies and it influences them in a way that normal church would not come on, it's worth the whole month and the whole series. I say that because last week I met a couple 
that last year during our first at the movies, they showed up and it had been the first time they'd been, been in church or maybe they'd visited during holidays, different churches, but it'd been the first time they had really been in church in 15 years. His dad had invited him over and over and over to come, but she thought church people were judgmental. She was pregnant out of wedlock as a young girl. And she just thought it wanted nothing to do with church. But last year during the first at the movies, they came and they've been in church outside of traveling or being away every single week for over a year. They read the Bible together every night. They read devotionals. They've gone through summit. They're young people. And children are involved in Hills Kids and Legacy. They're bringing their friends to to church. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, for some reason, at the movies was the thing that worked for them. I don't exactly know why that was the thing that worked for them, but it was effective for them. If it helps one person, come on, can you imagine being that dad who now sees not only his kids, but his grandkids in the house of God after 15 years? It's worth it. So are we using our lives to reach out to people that are away from God, that are hurting? If he is, as he is in the world we're to be, do we really love people the way that he did? Do we have a compassionate heart to reach out to them, to extend that invite to them? Jesus, we know, had lepers, harlots, tax collectors, fishermen, physicians, farmers, All these hurting people that followed him. And the Bible says as many that touched him were made whole. How did he do it? He met them on their level. He didn't enter people's world and expect them to come up to where he was. He met them where they were at. If you and I are too spiritual to meet people on their level, we're not like Jesus at all. If we expect people to come up to where we're at all the time and never want to go down to where they are then we're not like Jesus at all. Sinners felt comfortable around Jesus and as he was, so are we to be in the world. People nothing like him actually enjoyed his presence as he was in the world, so are we to be. Somehow Jesus conveyed the message to the worst sinners, you are loved and you are welcomed. As he was in the world, so are we to be. So in closing, one more time, I'm going to issue this challenge to Seven Hills as I've done for now, I guess, probably 14 plus years. And that is, as Solomon prayed, God, I want you to do something great in my life. Who am I to say God could do something great with me? But God, if you could do something great for me, what I'm going to ask you to do is give me wisdom to reach people and to influence people for your glory. And the Bible says that prayer, please God. So that's the prayer we're going to once again pray as a church. We're going to reestablish what we're here to do, who we're here to honor and who we're, what and how we honor him is by saying, God, use us to influence people in the same way that you did. Let us extend your love, your compassion, your grace, your forgiveness towards others in the same way you extended it towards us. When I think about seven hills, I think about all the years where I've constantly had to reestablish in this church. This is not the place that we're trying to build where a bunch of people can leave other churches and find their way here. And we can just be a warehouse where all the offended people from other churches show up. I understand how God moves people. I understand how God speaks to people to go from one place to the next. 
But what I love to do is tell people, listen, you're welcome to be here. We're so glad you're here. But the reason we exist, we put the names in the foundation of this church, of this church all around here. Not, we didn't put the names in the foundation around this, this building for any other reason than we said, God, whatever this building is to be, we want you to use us to reach people that are far from you. We want you to use us as a church to reach lost people. And I want to once again say, in this next season, can we ask God to use us in that same way? Can we ask God to continue to use us in that way? Can we let that be our prayer? Because I think that's a prayer that pleases God. I want you to think about that dad that I just talked about. That dad had invited his son for 15 years, for 15 years, and finally an invite stuck. And the son, told, and I'm ruining the testimony that you'll hear next week from them, by the way. But this is what this, is what this, this young man said to me. He said, I've, I've gone back and I've listened to every sermon that you've preached on, I guess, YouTube or something, something uh, where all that stuff's at, I don't know. And he said, um, he said, I was listening to a message last week that was last year's Memorial Day message. He said, I realized that you were preaching about, hey, let's invite people. Let's go out and reach people. And he said, and then you prayed a prayer and you asked people to say people's names out loud, to speak someone's name in the ear of God. And he said, I realized that as you were preaching that message and as people were praying that prayer, that my dad was in that service, that he was hearing you say, don't give up, don't stop, don't back off. That I realized as you were praying that it was my name that was being mentioned. It was my wife's name. It was my kids' names that were being mentioned. And he said, I had no idea that that week I would be invited and I would come to church and not just come to church, but that one year later, our whole family's life would be totally and completely changed. What he was saying was, I realized that it was me you were talking about encouraging your church to go out and reach. And he said, it touched my heart. So I'm not preaching for you. I am preaching for him. I'm preaching for the 16-year-old Marcus that needed to have that invite, or I'm preaching to you that somebody reached out to, somebody loved, somebody cared enough to put themselves aside long enough to say, I'm going to do my very, very best to say, God, would you do something great with my life? And that greatness is expressed in doing what we can do to influence people for his glory. Amen. Can we stand up on our feet? Can we pray together? That's what we want to do. We're going to baptize at the movies in prayer. I want you to think about somebody that you know their name. And I want you to mention their name with me real quick. I want you to speak their name as we pray in the ear of God. God, all across this room, people are here. Somebody's son or daughter is away from you. Somebody's mom or dad. Someone's work colleague. Someone's friend. Lord, someone at the gym. Someone at the Pilates class. Lord, someone at the memorial party. Someone at the graduation party. Someone at the birthday party. Father, all of us are in places where we can reach out and influence people. And so, Father, we mention their names to you right now. Many of those people that we're talking about are struggling with addiction. Many of those people are going through heartache and hurt. 
Many of those people are going through divorce and broken homes. Many of those people struggle in knowing who you are. Some doubt, some unbelief, some struggle stands between them and you. And so, Father, we extend our prayers right now to those people. And, Father, by faith, we go ahead and call them home in Jesus' name. We ask that you would shine that light on them, that blind eyes would be open, that the lost would be found, and that you would use these people to do something great for your glory in Jesus' name. We all said amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a good hand clap together.